0: What horrid extravagancies of mind quote quote, no man who is ever but who is but never so little versed in such matters is ignorant what grievous symptoms the rising bearing down and perversion and convulsion of the womb do excite. What horrid extravagancies of mind, what frenzies, melancholy, distempers, and outrageousness the preternatural diseases of the womb do induce, as if affected persons were enchanted. Unquote. By William Harvey, Anatomical Exercitations Concerning the Generation of Living Creatures 1653. Hysteria was one of the first diseases to be described formally. Hippocrates discussed it in the 4th century BCE, and you'll find it in any medical text covering women's health written from medieval times, until it was removed from the list of recognized medical diagnoses in 1952, 21 years before homosexuality was finally removed. Hysteria was one of the most diagnosed diseases in the United States, in Great Britain, as recently as the early 20th century. You might wonder how physicians treated this chronic condition over the centuries. According to historian Rachel Maines, female patients were routinely massaged to orgasm from the time of Hippocrates until the 1920s. Have a seat. The doctor will be right with you. While some passed the job off to nurses, Mainz found that most physicians performed the therapy themselves, though apparently not without some difficulty. Nathaniel Highmore, writing in 1660, noted that it was not an easy technique to learn, being, quote, not unlike that game of boys in which they try to rub their stomachs with one hand and pat their heads with the other, unquote. Whatever challenges male physicians faced in mastering the technique, it seems to have been worth the effort. The Health and Diseases of Women, published in 1873, estimates that about 75% of American women were in need of these treatments and that they constituted the single largest market for therapeutic device services. Despite Donald Simons' Simons's protestations that, quote, among all people's sexual intercourse is understood to be a service or favor that females render to males, unquote. It seems that for centuries, orgasmic release was a service male doctors rendered to women for a price. Much of this information comes from the technology of orgasm, Mainz's book on this quote-unquote disease, and its treatment through the centuries. And what were the symptoms of this disease? Unsurprisingly, they were identical to those of sexual prostration, and chronic arousal Quote, "anxiety sleeplessness irritability nervousness erotic fantasy sensations of heaviness in the abdomen lower pelvic edema and vaginal lubrication" Unquote. this supposed medical treatment for horny frustrated women was not an isolated aberration confined to ancient history, but just one element in an ancient crusade to pathologize the demands of the female libido, a libido that experts have long insisted hardly exists. The men who provided this lucrative therapy didn't write about quote-unquote orgasm in the medical articles they published on hysteria and its treatment. Rather, they published Serious, sober discussion of vulvular massage, leading to nervous paroxysm that brought temporary relief to the patient. These were ideal patients after all. They didn't die or recover from their condition. They just kept returning, eager for more treatment sessions. This arrangement might strike some readers as the very definition of quote, good work if you can get it. Unquote. But many physicians apparently felt otherwise. Mainz found, quote, no evidence that male physicians enjoyed providing pelvic massage treatments. On the contrary, this male elite sought every opportunity to substitute other devices for their fingers. Unquote. What other devices does Mainz have in mind? See if you can finish this series. 1. A sewing machine. 2. A fan. 3. Tea kettle. 4. Toaster. 5. Here's a hint. These are the first five electrical appliances sold directly to American consumers. Give up? The Hamilton Beach Company of Racine, Wisconsin, patented the first home use vibrator in 1902 thereby making it just the fifth electrical appliance approved for domestic use. By 1917, there were more vibrators than toasters in American homes, but before it became an instrument for self-treatment, quote, all the pleasures of youth will throb within you, unquote. One suggestive ad promised. Vibrators had already been used for decades in the offices of physicians who'd grown wary of quote, rubbing their stomachs and patting their heads at the same time, unquote. Motivated by the wonders of industrialization, many doctors had sought a way to mechanize the delivery of their treatment. American ingenuity would mass-produce orgasms for women who were denied them in their quote, properly chaste, unquote sexually deprived lives. The first vibrators were invented by these enterprising physicians. Late 19th and early 20th century medical tinkerers designed all sorts of devices to provoke the necessary nervous paroxysms in their patients. Some were diesel powered, others ran on steam like little locomotives that could some were huge contraptions hanging from the rafters on chains and pulleys, like engine blocks at an auto shop. Others sported pistons thrusting dildos through holes and tables or involved high-pressure water directed at the patient's genitalia like a fire brigade called in to douse the consuming flames of female passion. And all the while the good doctors never publicly admitted that what they were doing was more sex than medicine. But perhaps even more dumbfounding than their silence on being paid to provoke never paroxysms, like so many Chippendale studs in the fact that these same medical authorities managed to maintain the conviction that female sexuality was a weak and reluctant thing. The medical monopoly on providing socially acceptable extramarital orgasms to women was assured by a strict prohibition against women or girls masturbating themselves to orgasm. In 1850, the New Orleans Medical and Surgical Journal declared masturbation public enemy number one, warning, quote, neither plague nor war nor smallpox nor a crowd of similar evils Have resulted more disastrously for humanity than the habit of masturbation. It is the destroying element of civilized society. Children and adults were warned that masturbation was not only sinful, but very dangerous, sure to result in severe health consequences, including blindness, infertility, and insanity. Besides, these authorities intoned quote-unquote normal women had little sexual desire anyway. In his Psychopathia Sexualis, published in 1886, German neurologist Richard von Kraft Ebbing declared that everyone already thought they knew, quote, if a woman is normally developed mentally and well-bred, her sexual desire is small. If they were not so, the whole world would become a brothel and marriage in a family impossible." Unquote. To have suggested that women enjoyed, indeed needed, regular orgasmic release would have been shocking to men and humiliating the most women. Perhaps it still is. While the anti-masturbation frenzy has roots deep in Judeo-Christian history, It found unfortunate medical support in Simon-Andre Tisset's A Treatise on the Disease Produced by Onanism, published in 1758. Tisset apparently recognized the symptoms of syphilis and gonorrhea, which were considered a single disease at the time. But he misunderstood these symptoms as signs of semen depletion due to promiscuity, prostitution, and masturbation. A century later, in 1858, a British gynecologist named Isaac Baker Brown, president of the Medical Society of London at the time, proposed that most women's diseases were attributable to overexcitement of the nervous system, with the pudic nerve, which runs to the clitoris, being particularly culpable. He listed the eight stages of progressive disease triggered by female masturbation. Hysteria. Spinal irritation. Hysterical epilepsy. Cataleptic fits. Epileptic fits. Idiocy. Mania. And number eight, death. Baker Brown argued that surgical removal of the clitoris was the best way to prevent this fatal slide from pleasure to idiocy to death. After gaining considerable celebrity and performing an unknown number of clitorectomies, Baker Brown's methods fell out of favor and he was expelled from the London Obstetrical Society in disgrace. Baker Brown subsequently went insane and clitorectomy was discredited in British medical circles. Unfortunately, Baker Brown's writing had already had a significant impact on medical practice across the Atlantic. Clitorectomies continued to be performed in the United States well into the 20th century as a cure for hysteria, nymphomania, and female masturbation. As late as 1936, Holt's Diseases of Infancy and Childhood, a respected medical school text, recommended surgical removal or cauterization of the clitoris as a cure for masturbation in girls. By the middle of the 20th century, as the procedure was finally falling into disrepute in the United States, it was revived with a new rationale. Now, rather than a way to stamp out masturbation, surgical removal of large clitorises was recommended for cosmetic purposes. Before becoming a target for surgery, the clitoris had been ignored by male authors of elaborate anatomical sketchbooks for centuries. It wasn't until the mid-1500s that a Venetian professor by the name of Matteo Rialdo Colombo, who had previously studied anatomy with Michelangelo, stumbled upon a mysterious protuberance between a woman's legs. As described in Frederico Andahazi's historical novel The Anatomist, Colombo made this discovery while examining a patient named Inés de Toromelinos. Colombo noted that Inés grew tense when he manipulated this small button and that it appeared to grow in size at this touch. Clearly, this would require further exploration. After examining scores of other women, Colombo found that all of them had the same heretofore undiscovered protuberance and that they all responded similarly to gentle manipulation. In March of 1558, Andahazi tells us that Colombo proudly reported his discovery of the clitoris to the dean of his faculty. As Jonathan Margolis speculates in O! Oh, the Intimate History of the Orgasm, the response was probably not what Colombo had anticipated. The professor was, quote, arrested in his classroom within days, accused of heresy, blasphemy, and witchcraft and Satanism, put in trial, and imprisoned. His manuscripts were confiscated and his discovery was never permitted to be mentioned again, until centuries after his death.